Hi everyone, welcome to the Futures Female Podcast. This is your host, Ruffin Michener. Today I'm chatting with Kelsey Willock. She's the co-founder and CEO of Aura Finance. Aura Finance is a fintech platform combining wellness with wealth management. Kelsey formerly worked at Goldman Sachs as a VP and she's a fellow Wake Forest Demon Deacon. I can't wait to share her story, so let's get started. So hi, Kelsey. Welcome to the Future is Female podcast. So excited to have you on. For our listeners, Kelsey and I go way back to college days at Wake Forest. So it's been so fun reconnecting um, in the startup entrepreneurship world. Um, so to start, Kelsey, can you give us a little bit of a background on who, who you are and what Aura is? Yes. And thank you so much for having me. Um, it's so good to see another demon deacon on this world of tech and journey. Um, so yeah, a little bit about me. I'm originally from Chicago. I am the co-founder and CEO of Aura. We're a mindful money management platform designed to help you transform the look and feel of your finances. We really want to help people build passive wealth while living a life of abundance. Um, my story is I went to Wake Forest, studied entrepreneurship in English, worked at a number of different startups and always wanted to do something more entrepreneurial, um, but had the opportunity to work for a corporate firm, Goldman Sachs, when I was a junior and ended up staying six years. So I didn't actually take my leap to the world of entrepreneurship um, until about a year and a half when my co-founder and I started Aura. Um, to that point, always super interesting seeing people go from a more corporate position to leading a startup. Can you talk a little bit about how you made that decision to make that leap? Um, and also maybe a little bit about how it's been different in those two roles? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, taking the leap is scary. And as a company that's supporting financial wellness, I, at the forefront, was thinking, how the heck am I going to afford the world of entrepreneurship coming out of living a corporate job where you have all these wonderful benefits and salary supporting you? Um, so my journey in taking the leap actually began many years before I actually did it because I'm a bit of a planner. So I decided when I was working on this program launch with GS, I was an ambassador for them, helping um, diverse entrepreneurs and investment managers get access to capital and community within the firm. I was finding myself really inspired by that network and was thinking, okay, what would it look like for me to step into their shoes? Um, and I wasn't quite ready. I didn't really know what I wanted to do yet. And I knew I wanted to be surrounded by a community that could support me if I were to take a leap. And I also started saving. So after about two years of that journey, lots and lots of conversations later with early stage entrepreneurs and some later stage, felt like I was ready to take that leap. I got into a program called On Deck, which is like a founders fellowship organization that helps you go from zero to one. So that was my community angle. So I felt supported there. I didn't think I was just going to quit cold turkey and leave corporate life. Um, and then I had also saved up, which this might sound like a really large number, but I saved up about two years of living expenses because I knew that starting a company takes time and I wanted to give myself time to do it properly um, with the ultimate goal of hopefully not spending all of those two years. But that number also came from I was thinking about maybe do I get an MBA and go back to grad school um, or do I just try to do it while also 
uh, still paying for my life. So I could have taken out, you know, more student debt or whatnot, but I just decided I'm going to take the money that I saved to actually dive into entrepreneurship. Um, and I would say the biggest difference, which probably sounds like probably the most obvious is there's a lot more autonomy. Um, but there's also a lot more pressure to function autonomously. Um, when you're at a corporate company, there's a lot of, you know, there's the process of getting reviewed, you have managers and whatnot. And I stepped into a role where my co-founder and I, we're really the ones uh, directing the trajectory of the company. And there isn't a lot of people managing us. In fact, there's no one. We're really co-managing and self-managing and learning so much about one another and how we communicate and how we wanna lead. Um, but it's a really interesting uh, place to step into when you've never done it before. And it takes a lot of, I think, courage and a little bit of insanity. <laughs> um, definitely both of those. Very cool. Um, would love to talk a little bit more about the OnDoc program. Can you share, you know, what the application process was and then, you know, what you really get out of a program like OnDoc? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, so I had found on deck from another entrepreneur, I believe on Twitter, I talked to so many people about it that I can't even really remember what was my first entry point, but that, that was actually the question I was asking at the beginning. What was, what would I be getting out of it? And everyone told me over and over and over again, it's the community, it's the people. Um, and that turned out to be entirely true. Um, the program is pretty structured and regimented. I had to apply. I also had to pay to be a part of it. Um, many of programs similarly will take equity from you, but since I was in this idea stage and not even concrete idea stage, that didn't really make sense for me. Um, I almost saw it as like kind of a Y Combinator meets Stanford at the time. That's how it was pitched to me. And I also think that was pretty true. Um, and since I was going into the program full time, I attended everything, whether I felt like it was applicable to me or not, I wanted to absorb everything I possibly could from how to raise your first venture funding to how to build a product, how to find product market fit, how to um, build a, uh, a financial model. So it was really everything that I was absorbing. Um, and I would try to come away from every conversation meeting like at least one person. Um, and now as more of like an alumni network person, a part of that community, I rely heavily on those people to this day. Um, in fact, the way that we got our early funding was via other founders within the program. So I found it phenomenally helpful because they were not only people that helped educate me on how to navigate this world, they were also the ones that I would call when I was feeling down or when I just needed some motivation or just advice for some random idea, or if I just needed to go sit in a coffee shop with someone because I didn't want to work from home again. Um, so that's kind of a little bit about on deck. Cool. Um, so you had the idea, just a general idea going into on deck. And then I guess by the end of on deck, were you like, this is exactly where I'm going with Aura? Did you have a co-founder at that point? What was your next step from the program? Yeah. So my intention on the program was to go to zero to one. And I know that makes that definition is different for a lot of people, but for me, it was really finding someone to partner with and to also execute on an idea with. So I was starting to just share a little bit more about what I was passionate about. I was really interested in opening up access to investment products. I was even going into it with the thesis, how do I open up alternative investment products to 
mainly women. Um, and as I was sharing that vision, I ended up meeting Courtney Carden, who is now my co-founder. And she was working on a Duolingo for financial literacy. She was highly interested in, you know, we're really going to expand financial services and products by way of education. And I was looking at access and we decided to do a research project together where we would talk to about 50 individuals, both male and female, majority women though. And we asked them about their experience and we quickly learned that this wasn't an access or education problem. It was really an emotional and behavioral. People were deeply intimidated, intimidated by investing and that was what was holding them back or they were taking advice from others that might not actually suit them. Um, and we ended up deciding to build Aura together which is really about helping you dig into your relationship with money as well as you know helping you handhold through the process of investing for maybe the first time or maybe it's the first time that you actually feel comfortable doing it. Amazing. Um, so since we're talking a little bit more about the product, can you share more about Aura Finance and what you guys have built today? Yeah, no, definitely. So we have like a larger vision to be more of a betterment meets headspace meets um, Noom for finance, where we can be both your financial coach, as well as financial therapist meets wealth manager. However, that's a pretty big vision. And we know that those are large shoes to fill. So we intentionally decided that we have this hypothesis that we're going to really help people feel better about their money by handholding them by uh, by handholding their process of getting started investing and helping align their investments with their beliefs. So our early product is a robo advisor that feels much more human. You're going to get on a call with a human that's going to walk you through, even ask you how you're feeling throughout and align those investments with your beliefs because we know the best investment plan is the one you can stick with and the one you can stick with is the one that you believe in. Um, so that's our early bare bones product. We also have education and community within the platform. Um, we actually recently opened up our wait list and have let about 100 people off the wait list last week, which is pretty exciting. Um, so if anyone's interested in starting, sign up to join our wait list. We're being really, really cognizant that we want everyone that's a part of the founding member community to have an excellent experience. So rather than open up the funnel too quickly, we've been really intentional about making sure that the community is well served um, before going broader. And we'll definitely make sure to link everything to your signups, obviously, um, for the listeners out there. Um, so to that point, can, can you share a little bit about how, you know, you and Courtney were working on this idea? How did you get from idea and concept to actually, you know, developing, launching, putting out an actual product? Yeah, it's a great question. Listening is at the forefront of that. Um, and I think the way you become a good listener is you start with a hypothesis. And both her and I had this hypothesis of, you know, we think we're going to make people feel better by holding their hands. And the way we found that was we did, gosh, 150. This was after our first 50. We did so many more consumer um, calls. And we really found over and over and over, people were saying, I really want someone to hold my hand. I really want to know what I'm doing isn't wrong. I feel intimidated here. I just want to make sure that I'm not alone. And so the hypothesis came from listening to what the users had said to us about their process investing. And we decided to build a product around it um, in alignment also with what we would have personally wanted because we are building Aura for individuals like us as well, where I was deeply intimidated with the investing process as was Courtney. So we really wanted to create this environment that felt safe, empathetic, and clear with that hand-holding approach. And so 
that took a lot of time. I think uh, that did not happen overnight. It's been over a year in the making, but making sure that we're constantly listening and refining based on it has been super integral, as well as trying to refine, refine, refine. And so what I had prior said of, you know, we have this broad vision, which sounds incredible, it, especially to us at least. Um, however, you can't reach this, this, you know, ideal platform and app state without allowing yourself the space to test small hypotheses and small, really clear products. So for us, that clear product was values-based investing with handholding. Um, and that's how we're trying to see, is this process and is this pro uh, product going to actually make people feel better? And that's in the mode that we're in. We're really learning, we're hearing. And a lot of our users so far have told us, yeah, I am feeling better. So we're going to learn a lot in the next few months. Um, but that's what's really interesting about this product stage. It's really about, okay, we've, we've done all the work. Now is it actually, uh, is the proof in the pudding? Um, that's my Midwestern coming out. Um, it's cheesy, corny phrases like that. But um, yeah, and we'll, we'll see. Um, well, it's so true. I, I feel like even someone like you that actually has like an investing background, like it's amazing to hear that you're, you were also intimidated by investing because I know I definitely am. Um, I know tons of people out there are. So I think like the hand holding based product is really makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm also curious. So can you talk a little bit more about what types of investments that you can make on in the product? Yeah, no, definitely. That's a great question. So first and foremost, we ask a little bit about you because we can't curate in a portfolio without understanding you and your goals. Um, some of the goals we want to know, are you here to put a down payment on a house? Are you here to grow passive wealth? Are you here for retirement? Or, you know, we have a couple other options. And once we learn a little bit about you and your goals, we ask about your risk tolerance. Um, like, for instance, if the stock market were to drop, would you be comfortable just setting it and forgetting it and staying the course or would you sell it? Um, we also wanna know your time horizon. Do you need this money in you know, say zero to two years, um, maybe five plus? We really wanna understand what kind of portfolio we should putting, be putting you into. And then finally, we ask you uh, a little bit about impact. So for instance, we found that a lot of our users want to invest, but they're inherently conflicted with what that means. You know, for instance, if you're in the S&P 500, maybe that means you have exposure to tobacco companies and you just don't like tobacco companies or you don't like oil and gas. We actually allow you to filter certain industries um, on and off. If you actually want to create more of an environment where you're supporting diverse individuals like you know, women in business, or if you want to uh, make an impact with climate, you can also flip those filters on. And you can even get as granular as saying, you know, I just really don't like Apple. I work for Apple. I have enough exposure to them. I'd also like that to be removed from the portfolio. So we get deeply, deeply customized. The way we like to think about it is you can go to, let's call it any, like a robo-advisor, or you can go buy index funds yourself, or with Aura, you can actually make your own index funds. That's really what we're working to make because we want, we don't want this to be one size fits all set and forget. We want it to be what fits you. Super cool. Um, and then also, can you share a little bit more about the team? So I know you have more of a finance background. If I'm remembering correctly, Courtney has a legal background. And then I'm also assuming and remembering you potentially have a CTO. And then if there's anyone else on the team would love to know how that's all coming together. 
Yeah, no, great, great question. So like I said, in the beginning, I spent six years at Goldman Sachs. I was mainly working with institutional clients as a relationship manager in prime brokerage um, and also worked with Launch with GS for three years. Courtney was a lawyer for many years and decided upon her divorce that she wanted to move to Australia and work in impact investing and a really transcendental point of her life. And that's where she got really into money mindset. Um, it was for the first time in her life. She was actually married to a wealth advisor prior. She was digging into how do I manage money? How do I achieve the goals that I want, especially now as a single person? Um, and so flash forward, she ended up working for an impact fund, understanding money mindset deeper, and then going to work for an accelerator and getting even further into impact and understanding a little bit more about like altruistic uh, endeavors. Um, moved back to the United States, ended up working on a program to help get more people uh, voting, which I don't know when this is going to be published, but today is the day that everyone should be voting. Um, and decided she wanted to make even more deep and uh, direct impact with helping people that were also dealing with financial anxiety, as well as money mindset matters, as that's what she had been personally experiencing in her um, life and decided to apply to on deck and that's how we both kind of came together at her point again she was focused on duolingo for financial literacy that's how she got into the on deck program that was the idea that she had pitched to them and we decided to to join forces um we have a cto justin fortier he's been building tech products for about 15 20 years um he's a brilliant member of our team um, as well as an investor in us um, and we also have a, a number of junior engineers. We have two junior engineers and a brilliant designer. So we have a small but mighty team and hopefully next year we're growing. Very exciting. Can you share a little bit about how you went about finding the technical talent, including your junior engineers as well as your CTO? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, also on deck which I feel like this has been such a major uh, sponsorship of on deck. They should pay me for this, <laughs> but I do love them. Um, so there was another founder in the program that Courtney had gotten close with, and he had worked with a company called FYC Labs, and they are a dev shop. Um, and a lot of people will tell you, don't work with dev shops. Like there's not enough skin in the game for them. Be wary. And for some reason, we had gotten to know this other founder super well, really trusted his advice and done our homework and got to know other founders that had worked with them as well. And all the feedback had been stellar. So I decided to work with them on a more shorter term contract basis of, okay, can we build something together? And as our, over time, we just found the company to be fantastic. Um, and Justin even came on as our CTO. And like I said, also investor. So it was the right fit for us. Um, and navigating what the right fit is, I'm always really wary of you know, whether you give advice or not, but this is what worked for our company at the time. Um, especially as you have to be so careful to manage burn, competing against so many people that can offer such incredible, these like high salaries and benefits. We needed to compete while also finding an affordable option and the right partnership. And they turned out to be the right partnership for us. Cool. Well, it sounds like community is definitely the theme of today in this podcast. Um, I know you've also done Visible Hands and also Techstars. Can you share more about each of those programs, the application processes, and then also kind of, I guess, what you needed and what stage you had to be at to get into those programs? 
yeah, so Visible Hands was incredible and continues to be. They were pretty much our first check. Um, so when we applied to them, we had to have definitely an idea. When I applied to On Deck, you didn't actually really have to have a fully fledged idea. It was just some level of an idea. So that was really the zero. Visible Hands, I think, kind of required 0.5. Um, so not the full product built out, but at least conviction that you had direction. So you could really get the full benefit of the 10 week program. And by the time we applied, we had had this idea pretty, pretty clear in what we wanted to build. And we also joined them saying, we really want to raise a pre-seed at the end of the program. So they basically helped us. They put us into like sub cohorts within the program. So we were partnered with companies that were really similarly aligned in the stage that we were at with similar goals. And we kind of all acted as cheerleaders together and accountability partners and supporters. Um, and then this year we got into Techstars, which is super exciting uh, in partnership with JP Morgan. They're supporting uh, female founders and non-binary founders out of Oakland. And the whole point of the program is really, it's more community to be completely honest, which I find incredibly valuable. And again, the most valuable part of entrepreneurship because you never know who you're gonna need. Just having organizations that you can tap into um, and people working on at least values aligned uh, products and services is so, so helpful to be able to tap. Um, I'm still going through it though now. And right now I'm working on a video pitch with them, which is exciting, but a little nerve wracking. So we're going to pitch that to their community of investors at the end. Amazing. Well, congrats again on Techstars. Super, super exciting. Um, another thing I always like to ask about is, I know you've shared a little bit about this personal finance and the savings that you saved up before you went on this journey. Can you share more about the money that your team has raised to fund Aura um, and who the investors have been so far? And then also, again, the traction you kind of needed at those different milestones. Yeah. So we raised a pre-seed last December led by Lake House Ventures and Visible Hands and a number of angel investors. Um, and essentially we wanted to raise enough money to build out our product and get our first early stage customers. Um, the way we like to think about it is how do you reach the milestones that you need to deliver an excellent product first? And then secondly, make sure you have the capital to continue building. Um, and so we raised a little under a million dollars last year, um, which is fantastic and exciting. And it's enough to support our, again, small but mighty team. Um, and sorry, what was the last part of that question? Um, who your investors are, okay. the traction that you needed at the different fundraising stages. Traction. Um, I'm also wary to answer this question because I have heard a lot of different things. Um, so for us, we needed to tell a really clear story. Um, and that's what I had heard over and over again for pre-seed. Um, and so going through the process to get investors, whenever we would hear, you know, you don't have enough traction, that to us meant your story's not clear enough or your product vision isn't clear enough. It didn't actually mean that we didn't have enough traction because the reality is at that stage, it's really hard to have traction if you haven't even built something, um, but it's an easy answer to give someone to, to let them down easy. Um, so we just work to refine that story and get clear on the value proposition and who we're building for, um, build clear user personas, um, be extremely clear about the market 
Um, you can't just say, you know, we're going to serve every investor on the planet. Um, you have to be clear about, you know, this is the age of that person. This is where they live. This is how much they're making. Um, this is why we know this is a product that they need. Um, and, you know, as we gear up to the next stage, we're not fundraising at this moment, but, you know, when that comes in the future, it'll be really still about storytelling. Um, your seed is more rooted in data and traction than the pre-seed is, but it's still heavily dependent on story. And is your team the right one to execute on that story? And what have you learned? What have you really learned in the past year that is going to set you out for success? Um, when you get a little bit later stage, I've never gone later stage, but this is the this is what I've heard from many others. It becomes a little bit more about uh, revenue and traction. Um, the only thing I would caveat is we're also in a really different environment as we're in this more like recessionary environment. Um, there are investors that are being a little bit more um, strict on, they wanna see revenue numbers, which you know, in a more risky environment, that is a safer option. So we're starting to see fewer bets on just ideas um, and we're seeing a little bit more dependency on, on data. Um, great insight about caring less about traction necessarily early on and then more about your story. I'm curious, how did your, you and your team go about perfecting your story? Do you have any good tips on that front? Telling it 5,000 times. <laughs> um, I feel like there's not an, like a process here, which is a little bit stressful. But you know, I had I had done all the the sessions on like how to perfect your pitch. Um, I'm even going through it again now, and I think you're always kind of doing that, um, just like you're always kind of telling the story of who you are. And there's an evolution that you kind of have to get comfortable with. So I'm a little bit I wouldn't call myself a perfectionist, but I I like looking at details, and that was a little maddening for me at first because you know getting comfortable with this isn't the final result. This is what we are now, but it's going to continue to evolve as something we had to let ourselves be okay with. Um, the one thing we learned when we were pitching investors was, what do we learn from that call? And oftentimes, you know, if there's something that 10 investors told us, like they didn't like this slide or the slide wasn't clear, that meant to us that something needed to change. Or if investors were like, this seems really interesting, I want to learn more, leaning into that side of the narrative is what we, we did. Um, and the only way we got there is through many, many hard conversations and uh, many, many people being like, oh, this feels boring or I don't like this or this isn't clear or have you, what about this competitor? Um, and that's hard, but I think being okay with, that's what everyone goes through. Stepping into the uncertainty is, is gonna benefit you and not putting too much pressure on yourself to make it perfect before you share it. But the last thing I'll, I'll share is my, my partner, Courtney, says this all the time about product. If you're sharing your product um, uh, and you're not embarrassed, you're sharing it too late. I would even say the same about your pitch. Um, so before I even did Aura or anything, I used to just share random ideas with everyone. Whether they were dumb or not, getting into the habit of sharing and talking about things will only help you clarify what your story is. Um, I love that. That's great advice. Um, and when your team is working on your pitches, is that something that you own specifically or do you guys kind of share that? And, or is that like, this is a Kelsey thing you got and pitch investors? This is definitely 
not just a Kelsey thing. This was a collaborative thing because I think there's something to be said that your pitch isn't going to land with everyone and you can't operate into a silo. Like if I were the, the only one that's hearing, maybe call it all the good feedback or all the bad feedback and making all the calls, I think that's really hard to get creative. Like I, I am my best creative, you know, mind when I'm sharing. Um, so Courtney and I would often, you know, get into a room and be like, this was working. What do you think about this? And, and bounce off ideas. And I would say every person that we pitched to has been a part of that process, whether it was a good conversation or not, because they're the ones helping us refine, refine. Um, with Techstars right now, we've been doing pitching um, within the entrepreneurs and they've been giving us feedback. Um, so it's a very collaborative effort. Um, so uh, share with as many people as you can. Definitely agree. Love bouncing ideas off of people. So important and makes it so much more fun. Um, I'm curious. So in this entire entrepreneurial journey, what has been like the biggest challenge and maybe also the biggest reward for you? <sighs> the biggest challenge has been finding balance. I think you kind of can easily get sucked into like, this is an extreme role and it's also it's even more extreme because you're so excited about it um so for me I'm always wanting to talk about it especially you know when a partner comes home and I'm like been sitting in the apartment all day I'm like I want to talk about it or when my friends are hanging out like I want to talk about it and there's something to be said about giving yourself space from what you're doing um, to allow yourself to be better. And that's been hard for me. I think, you know, for me, it's like, if I'm not working on it, I'm not being productive, but sometimes the most productive thing you can do is take a walk. And I'm not, I wouldn't say the poster child of it, but today I took an hour walk and I had that little level of guilt. And then I'm like, wait, I actually had so many good ideas. <laughs> so balance is hard. Um, and I would say the most rewarding is talking to the people that, you know, we have this dream to help and people actually saying, this is helping me. Like, that is so cool. And we've had, we've had hard conversations and we've had wonderful ones. I think the hard ones challenge us to make ourselves better and the good ones keep us motivated to keep going. I, uh, a good founder friend of mine told me, make a wins channel or a favorites album in your phone. So whenever you're feeling down, look back at those and I look back at them all the time and they make me so happy and remind me that we're doing this for a purpose and we're doing this for such good reason to help people um we call it design and finance their version of a rich life whatever that looks like and I feel that we're really doing that oh I love that a wins challenge you could see how that's very motivating um, <laughs> amazing I might have to take that idea um, and then as we wrap things up, do you have a female founder, investor, or leader that you look up to and would love to know a little bit about why? I would say Leslie Bodgett. Um, so about, I want to say three years ago, I had heard about her and cause she was coming out with a book, pretty good advice. And if anyone hasn't read it, I would highly encourage it. It's almost like chicken soup for the entrepreneurial soul. Um, and there was a page in there that was daydreaming is working on stuff. And 
it just kind of gave me courage to really think outside the box and think crazy and be okay with it. And that is when I started writing a million ideas in my notebook. Um, I even, this is like a side plot, but I ended up starting like a, a women's zine because I had so many business ideas. I called it stuck in notes. And I was wondering, maybe other people have ideas that are stuck in their notes. And if we can get them to share them, they can make them happen and come to fruition. And one of those ideas was helping people get invested for me. And I truly to this day think that allowing myself like, you know, the, that space to like go on walks and like write random ideas in my notes led me to where I am now. And I think she was a part of that where she gave space to do what a lot of people don't say, which is to be just, you know, a dreamer. I think I had read so many books about like, this is how you hack growth. This is how you become the most, um, you know, optimal person. You wake up early, you do all the things right. And that felt really strict to me. And reading her story, she, she was the founder of um, uh, Bare Essentials, Bare Minerals. It just was like, oh, there's a really fun way to do this. And there's a way to like dream and explore and be expansive. And there, it doesn't have to be so regimented. And that has always been really inspiring to me. I have not read this book, but I am now going to go order it and I'll be reading it over the next few weeks. So thank you for that tip. Um, and then finally, tell us one more time where people can sign up for Aura. And again, I will definitely link all of this in the details. Um, you can go to AuraFinance.io to sign up for a wait list. Like I said, we're currently in private closed beta. We'll be opening up spots. So if you sign up for the wait list, we'll be sharing how you can get off. Yay. Amazing. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's been so fun following your journey with Aura and I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much, Refin. It was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Future is Female podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, make sure to subscribe and we'll see you next time.